written thousands of years ago. Every page, every story, inspired from God. Do they apply to me? Is the Old Testament obsolete? With Pastor Jim Scudder Jr. Obsolete. I hope that we never go obsolete. I hope that we always are relevant and that we're a part of other people's lives and an important part of people's lives. And I think that's very possible. But things do go obsolete, don't they? Certainly. Uh, especially in our day when we have vast improvements in technology. Now we're going to give you an obsolete item that one of you has given to us for this purpose. And I would like to know if there's a kid in the crowd that would like to come up and help me with this obsolete item, especially if you haven't done it yet. Raise your hand big, get my attention. You haven't done it yet. Okay, let's get Winston come. Uh, you raise your hand just before your sister, so we'll get you another time. Come on up here, and I bet you're really dying to know what is under this black cloth, right? Okay, let's pull it off together. One, two, three. What is this? Um. Okay, you want, you want some more hints, don't you? Okay, hold on. Somebody pushed it down. Let's try this. Okay. A heater? Come over here. What? A heater? Okay, a heater. Okay. Well, you know what? You might be right in one sense. Okay, do you, do you want to take another stab at it? A fan of some sort? Okay, a heater and a fan. So this is a daisy with a Z. Uh, sound and style hair dryer. You want to try it? Yeah, get your head in there. No, I'm just kidding you. So this is something that they, they actually still sell something like this, a home counter salon style hair dryer. Uh, but this one actually has sound. I guess there's, there's uh, speakers in here and you can plug in some I'm sure it wasn't like an MP3 player or anything, but somehow plug in something. Isn't that cool? Do you like that? All right. Do you think, and have you ever seen anything like this before? No. Um, so your mom doesn't use this? No. Your dad doesn't use this? Well, that's good to hear. All right. Thank you very much, Winston. And then you probably want something else, don't you? No? That's it? That's all you want? Okay. Well, let me give you something. 20 bucks. Use it before that's obsolete, okay? Big hand for Winston. Thank you. So cool. So cool. Uh, we actually plugged it in, and we shouldn't have. We shouldn't have. Uh, we started to smell a very rich aroma. Uh, it might have been the person that had been using it for years, the, the uh, hair cell skin, I don't know what it was, or it was just like... And, uh, I, well, it is a heater, so that's probably uh, part of the issue. So we're in a series that we're calling, is the Old Testament obsolete? And the reason I'm doing this series, first of all, I want you to learn the Old Testament. I want you to learn the, 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 the foundation to the Bible, the foundation to, 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 to everything. Like we wouldn't know much if we didn't have it, especially the book of Genesis, so integral and so important. Uh, but I also want to push back on people and preachers that are saying 
that we can really minimize the Old Testament. It's not really that important or, or relevant anymore. I, I beg to differ. I say without the Old Testament, we just don't know so much of what's in our New Testament. The Bible, folks, is a book that survives time. There's very few things that survive time. You know, hairstyles change. The way that we, we do th- things in life, all of that changes. But we have a Bible that doesn't change. Isaiah 40 verse 8, say it with me. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Okay, So we have something that is permanent, it's fixed, but it's also alive. This book can give you answers today to your life's problems. As a matter of fact, it's the only thing. You can go into a bookstore and you can get books on just about everything that will supposedly give you answers for life. But if those books aren't based on this book, I would be very suspect because the foundation has to be this book. And the foundation of the Bible is the Hebrew scriptures or what we call the Old Testament. Now, we get to a passage or a story that I I think is so important to understand. And here's my message title today. Does the story of Noah's ark float? All right. Now, how many times have you thought or have you had people ask you, how could all the animals possibly fit on Noah's ark? There's no way that that's a true story. There's no way that that uh, eight people could build such a huge structure. There's no way that that boat would be big enough to fit all of the different species of animals that the Bible says. So therefore, the Bible must be wrong. Well, I'll tell you something. If you'll actually stop and think about it, and start to look at the size of the ark and how many animals would have been on the ark and all of the details that people never think about, your mind will totally be changed on this. But you have to be open-minded. You have to, you have to say, Lord, I want to know, is this, is this book a fairy tale or is it true? Okay. So let's ask that question. Now, here's part of the problem right here. Look at this picture. This is part of the problem with uh, people's understanding of the ark. This is what you're probably mentally thinking when we say Noah's ark. It's just a, a bathtub toy. It's got the two giraffes always. It's got, you know, it's cute. Certainly it's cute. Me and my wife have a little bit of an ongoing conversation uh, about this because it is cute and the kids like it and it's fun and and uh, Bible uh, 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 Sunday schools use these pictures and uh, churches in their nursery usually have something and, and toys and all of that. But listen, when we're putting this out there and saying this is Noah's Ark, we are we are creating a fairy tale because there is no way that that could hold all the animals that God created. So we have to be careful about stuff like this, don't we? All right, so in the Bible, we read in what we call the New Testament in several places about this man named Noah. Actually, in Luke, it gives Noah's name in Jesus' genealogy. So uh, Luke is, is quite a historian. He goes all the way back, 
all the way back to Adam. And if you, if you read through the genealogy, you're not too far from Adam to get to Noah. So he's in the New Testament early in, in one of the gospels. And then we also find him in, in Hebrews chapter 11, where it says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen or seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Who is, who is this Noah? What is this ark? What, what in the world? I want to know more about this. Well, you wouldn't know more if you didn't have the Old Testament, if you wouldn't have the book of Genesis. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So we have this story of faith, the story of Noah. And then we read about it also in 1 Peter 3.20. It says that which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, there it is again, here's this Noah, the days of Noah, while the ark, okay, we have the ark again, was preparing, wherein few, that is eight, souls were saved by water. What in the world? Who is this Noah? What is this story? Well, again, To understand who Noah was and what happened to him, we have to go back to the Old Testament, especially to the book of beginning, Genesis, the beginnings. Some think that we only find grace in the New Testament, but the story of Noah and so many other places in the Bible, we find grace in the Old Testament. You see, God is the same God. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And although there are more references to God's anger and fierceness in the Old Testament because he was dealing with a people, a nation that was supposed to be a light. We see the same God. We see grace in the Old Testament many times, especially here in the story of Noah. Look at Genesis 6, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is one of those words that we just absolutely love. We love grace. Why? Because without grace, we have nothing. Without grace, we are in big trouble. Without grace, we are miserable. We we have no hope. We have no future. We have no hope of redemption, no hope of, of making our relationships right. It's all by God's grace. And here, the Bible introduces Noah as a man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, how was that? Well, I think it's rather simple. Noah knew God. Noah walked with God. We find that a theme in the Old Testament, right? Adam and Eve, they they walked with God in the cool of the day. Enoch walked with God. And so what is this walking with God? It's a realization that we've blown it, that we've rebelled, that we're sinners. And we say, I, I need help. I need a savior. I need salvation. And you put your faith in God. And you say, well, how would Noah have put his faith in Jesus if Jesus hadn't come yet? Well, he had been already promised. He had already been predicted. Didn't know his name. Didn't know the details. Didn't know what he would do. But certainly knew enough to say, I can't save myself. I need a, a savior. And I'm putting my faith in the Lord for salvation. He was a man who found grace. Okay. And he also was a man that lived 
a righteous life because of, of God uh, helping him see the issues in his life. Now, was he a perfect man? Absolutely not. Because after the story of the flood and the ark, we find a huge failure in the life of Noah. Certainly not perfect, but redeemed. A born again man, as we would use in the New Testament nomenclature. Okay, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we love grace. And we talk about grace. And without grace, we have nothing. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Now, does that mean that he didn't sin? Does that mean that he had no sin? Absolutely not. But it meant that he was real. And he loved God, and and God was helping him with his life, helping him to be the man that he was supposed to be. But he he was living in a really, really wicked culture and society. Some people think today is as bad as it's ever gotten. No, it was really bad in the time of Rome. It was really bad in the time of Noah. As a matter of fact, they did whatever was right in their own eyes. There was wickedness, and every thought of the heart was evil continually in the days of Noah. Now, it is very similar to today, and our world is getting worse and worse, but you can still live a righteous life today. How? Well, first, receive by faith Jesus, the Son of God who died on the cross and rose again. The whole story of the ark, the whole story of the flood is the story of Jesus and salvation. After you receive by faith Jesus, then I, I encourage you to grow in him, in knowledge of him, and, and know what he wants you to do, and know how he wants you to live your life. Grow. And, and then you're going to find yourself walking with God, and, and that, that fellowship with God, he's going to be revealing things in your life that you need to fix and get better at. And we actually have the power to do that as Christians, to be the dad that God wants us to be, to not... To not uh, provoke our children to wrath. To love our wife as Christ loved the church. For the wife to submit to her husband as, uh, as we see submission of Jesus and the Father. You're going to be able to accomplish these things that are hard to do. And you're going to be able to have the life that God wants you to have. And to be the testimony that God wants you to be. We can walk in a, in a just manner today. Here's one of the ways that I would suggest that you do that. Make church a priority. Now, obviously, those of you in the room, you've made church a priority. Some of you can't attend church because of distance or health. You've made church a priority. But here's what I mean. When I was young, my parents made it a point to make sure we were in church. Now, you say, well, yeah, you're the pastor's kid. That's true. And we really didn't have an option, which was good, actually. It developed a good habit. But every service, me and Julie were here. And now, every service, I'm here, Karen's here, our kids are here. Why? Is it because I have to be? This is my, my obligation? Well, part of, part of it, yeah, but it's so much more than that. This is where I want to be. I want to be here. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to, I want to hear someone open a, a Bible and say, thus saith the Lord. And, and this is going to keep me on the path of righteousness and, and to be a just person. This is also going to create a separation in my life where I'm not going to do some of the things that, that others do. And, and some of the entertainment and some of the, uh, the partying and all of that, we're just not going to do that because we want to have nothing affect our, our walk with God. Tonight you'll have an opportunity to show the Lord how much he means to you. As uh, it's, I understand that uh, the, the Super Bowl 
is one of those television events that everybody watches. And you know what? I found a way to do it still. And you can skip the halftime show, which is probably going to be wicked. Okay, it always is. It probably will. I don't know. I'm guessing. There's been some revival in the NFL lately. Praise God. There's prayer now that's, that's public. They're kneeling now not to you know, some uh, radical movement. Now they're kneeling to God. And that's good. But don't ever let something replace your normal pattern, your normal habit of worship and learning and growing. And so I encourage you to, to make a practice of this tonight as we live in a wicked world that, that you're not going to forsake the assembling of yourselves in the church body if you can be here. So Noah walked with God and we can walk with God even in a wicked and perverse world. And then it says in Genesis six ten that Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So now we have Noah, we have his sons. Of course, Noah has a wife. Poor Noah's wife, we don't know her name. We don't know her name. Mrs. Noah, I think, is her name. And so we also don't know the names of the, the son's wives. They, they would also get married. Remember, Noah lived a long life, very long life. And so did his sons. The earth in Genesis 6-7 was also corrupt, corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And, and a lot of people say, why would God, who is good, whose love, whose grace, we just talked about God's grace, how could he possibly send a, a, an event that kills millions? How, how could he do that if he is a loving God? I think God, when he created everything, he created us with the ability to choose. He wanted, he wanted to create a being that was like him, and that, that could voluntarily love. And that's actually the only way you can love. If you demand someone to love you, they may say they love you, but you never would know. Because you can't demand love. Love has to be a decision by the other person. That's love. That's real love. So he created us with that ability to choose, with that ability to say, uh, I do love God, and I want to walk with him. And then those that didn't, those that rejected him and his goodness and his, his generosity and his uh, you know, showering with blessings, those that rejected that, and Adam and Eve rejected that in the garden. Uh, of course, Cain, we know, rejected that when he killed his brother. So that led to all of this violence and, and sin and corruption, and it was a, a horrible place. I feel like if God hadn't done something... I think everyone, there would have been no one left. And I really believe if God continues to let this world go on its own with our ability to annihilate cities with weapons, I think we're going to get to the point where we're going to kill everybody. That's why there is a, a, a return of Jesus to, to save us from killing ourselves. And I think that must be what was happening here. Because if everyone died, there would be no savior. There would be no hope. So this is actually, the, the, whole, the whole story of the flood, believe it or not, is a story of grace. And there was a message of salvation that Noah was preaching. The Bible said that they got the message that there's going to be a flood 120 years before the flood. Now, I don't think Noah was building the ark that whole time. It was probably like 70 to 50 to 70 years they were actually building the ark. But they knew that whole time there was judgment coming. But they said people weren't listening. 
Noah was a preacher of righteousness, it says in 2 Peter. No one was listening. Everyone continued to do what they wanted to do. There was wickedness and violence and corruption. No one listened to the preacher. Now, could God have saved everyone? Yeah, that's our God. If they would have listened to the preaching, they would have been saved. There was a a way of salvation. But no one did except for him, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Eight souls saved by the same water that destroyed the world, that water floated them because they were in the ark of salvation. And God looked upon the earth, Genesis six twelve, and behold, it was corrupt and all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth, with the earth. Make thee an ark. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. Now we're going to go through some of these details. We're going to answer the skeptics that say, how could all the animals fit on the ark? How could they have built this? You know, you know, could, could Noah have built the ark or Noah and his family have built the ark? I think we're really not giving credit to the intelligence and ingenuity of ancient man. Okay. If you think we're, we've advanced evolutionarily, in our abilities and our thoughts, uh, our, our ability to, to come up with stuff, you're wrong. Now, we've advanced in the accumulation of knowledge, and that has really led to some incredible breakthroughs technologically. But we, without the, the modern uh, machines and cranes and hydraulics and stuff, we couldn't build something like Noah did. Look at this ark. Okay, this is the ark of Noah. Now we read here, you remember that, that word back here that's gopher? Some people assume that's a type of tree or a type of wood. That's actually not the case, and we'll talk about it more, but basically gopher means, the word means to house in, okay? So people that have studied this feel like it's a building technique, you're going to build the ark out of a, a, a interlamination technique of wood. And so you would have, if, if this interlamination was used, you would have all parts of the ship from the bow and keel to the sides to the floors. Everything would be all tied together, kind of like they make these uh, beams wooden beams and they, they make it out of wood and they take the wood and they, uh, strips of wood and they press it together with resin or with glue and they make these incredible beams that will, will support massive amounts of weight. It's a manufactured process. We use it today. Plywood is actually another example of this interlamination. You take thinner sheets and you put them all together in different directions and it creates this really, really strong, uh, in this case, a vessel. This is another illustration. This is from Dr. Carl Baugh, our friend, that describes the interlamination process of what the ark might have been building technique-wise. 
And that would have created something strong. And that's another criticism of the Genesis story of, of the flood is how could this ship have survived the, the waves and the action and, and all things hitting it? Well, God knows what he's doing. And, and also remember this. They had many years on the earth from creation to the flood. They had, I'm sure, built ships. This wasn't the first big boat ship ever built. This had to have already been happening in the day. There was probably a whole trade of boat builders. And some people think Noah actually was one that already knew how to do this. And so God gave some specifics, but didn't give all the detail because they already would have known how to do a lot of the same stuff. Okay, so we have here this idea of interlamination, the the gopher building technique. Um, And here's a video of myself getting a tour of the full-size ark at the Ark Encounter. How many of you have been to the Ark Encounter in the Cincinnati area? The rest of you need to go to it. I'll tell you the first thing that that everyone says, myself included, when I first saw it, you hear the dimensions of the ark, and we're going to talk about that today. But when you go and physically stand there and you get off, uh, there's like a parking area and it takes you by a bus and you get off, and it's a pretty far away that you're going to still walk to the ark, and you see the whole thing. Everybody says, wow, that is huge. Everybody says that. So it's a lot bigger than you think. Why do you think people think it's small? bathtub ark, right? Okay. So when you start to see the size of this thing, it it makes more sense. So we got a a tour of the ark and we made a television series out of it, a video series. We call it uh, the tour of Noah's ark with Bodie Hodge. Bodie Hodge is the son-in-law of Ken Ham. And here's a video that will uh, give you a little more information on the, the building technique. And this is the first thing you see as you get into the ark. Skeptics of the Bible say it's full of fiction and fable. They use Noah's Ark as an example of this. They say there's no way the Ark was big enough to fit all the animals. But today, we're going to challenge those skeptics and prove the Ark was quite big enough, just as the Bible says. We're going to be given a tour by Bodie Hodge, the son-in-law of the founder of Answers in Genesis, Ken Ham. Bodie has a master's degree in mechanical engineering and is a writer, speaker, and researcher. So come with me on a real adventure and tour the full-size ark on Ingress. Walking in an ark, pretty cool. And Bodie Hodge, tell me a little bit about this the structure. Okay, well, as we walk into the ark, we're basically getting a cross-section of what the the outside to the inside of the ark would look like. How do they put all that together? You know, the, the Bible says that the ark was made out of gopher wood. And, of course, we always joke, well, what is gopher wood? Well, you go for wood. But actually, a lot of people think, a lot of researchers particularly think it's a, a style of how they put the wood together. I uh, think of pressed wood or plywood, something very similar to that. If you look closely at some of this, what you're seeing... You're seeing different elements and aspects of the wood, wood trunnels and things like that. What happens is when this wood is put together in such a way and it starts to get wet, it actually expands and makes a really tight seal. Okay, so when the Bible says that you're supposed to pitch the ark, so the the gopher wood is an interlamination technique, a building technique, would have made it very strong. And what is this pitch 
that they would have put on the outside. Well, first of all, I want you to understand that the word pitch doesn't mean tar. We usually think of that as tar. Why? Well, because I believe that all of the petroleum byproduct, the hydrocarbons that we find all around the world, and that's where this black tar comes from we use on our roads and stuff, that wasn't around yet. What, what, what created all of that? Well, I think it's pretty simple. The earth was incredibly lush and full of uh, plants and vegetation. And when the flood hit and it got buried in the right temperature processes, it created coal and oil and, and, and all of those things. So if, if this was before the flood, we, they wouldn't have had that. The word pitch is actually the same word that they use for atonement in the Bible. And it's a covering. So what were they covering the, the gopher technique of the ark with? Well, in, until about 150 years ago, maybe 200 years ago, they were using the technique of using, uh, of, of making, um, uh, lines or, or cuts into pine trees. They would collect the resin that came out of the pine trees and they had a way of, of processing that and they would actually take the tree after that and, and bury it, burn it and bury it and create this mixture of resin and the, the charcoal of the tree. They were using that not that long ago on ships to seal the ships. So what would Noah have been putting on his, on the ark? Well, I think it would have probably been something similar. It would have been at some sort of a resin. And that resin, if, if the ark was built with hardwood, which would make sense, right? A hardwood tree. This is actually a tree that is, uh, or an ark that was made out of mahogany. Now, this is a scale model. This is at the Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas. Uh, but this kind of shows you how this would have been, you know, interlaminated and it would have had a different, uh, you know, structures and this would have been tied in with the sides and all of that. So if you have all of that interlamination and then you add the, the, the resin on the inside and the outside, that soaks in. It's creating, it locks it all together and it would water seal. And it would probably create a really hard outside that would prevent, you know, big trees hitting it or the debris of the ark of the flood from hitting the ark and damaging it. Here's another uh, picture of the inside of this model ark in Texas. And uh, they thought of everything in this model. The ark, the full-size ark, they thought of everything. They thought of how would they have watered the animals? How would they have fed the animals? Because you have eight people, you got to feed the animals. How do you get the waste away? And there's a lot of different thoughts on that. You know, if they had uh, slats in the cages and a, a slanted floor, the waste could fall down and come into a a common trough. Some people have said, would they have put some sort of insect or worms in there that digest all of that waste? You know, there's, they were in, they were geniuses, folks, and they would have had ways, uh, piping and ways to water the animals from one central location. They would have big water reservoirs and they could bring the water up with, you know, ropes and, and winches and, um, and, and pour it into one place. And that could literally water most of the animals on the ark. So there's, there's creativity there too, right? When, when you start to think about how all this could have happened. Now, how big was the ark? That's what you're all sitting here wondering. How big was the ark? Genesis 6.15 says, This is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. 
the breadth of it, 50 cubits, and the height of it, 30 cubits. What's a cubit? It was a, 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 a way to measure, a length to measure. We have rulers, right? We have a ruler that's one foot. Um, so what is a cubit? A cubit is from your elbow to the top of your longest finger. Now, obviously, we all have different lengths. So that's the, you know, that was a general rule of measurement. But if you want precision, they probably had a standard. You know, the average person, let's measure that and let's use that stick or whatever that is as our standard of the cubit. When we think it was around, around 18 inches, okay? It's kind of what we use to, uh, to translate the number. So if we did that, here's a picture of a football field. So you see the arc was bigger than a football field. Of course, it was tall. The arc would have been 45 feet tall. Now, we're sitting in an auditorium that's very high, right? And you, you see the, the false ceiling hanging here from the floor. I'm guessing that's, you know, maybe 25, 22, 25 feet. If you go up to the peak, uh, it's higher, maybe 35 feet or 40 feet. So it, th- you, when you start to, to think about size and scale, this was quite large. 300 cubits would be 450 feet long. 50 wide would be 75 feet wide. So you have 450 by 75 by 45. If you make the calculation, that's 1.5 million cubic feet. This is a huge vessel. Okay? So here is a little bit more about what a cubit is. The size of the structure was given by God. Correct. Right? And to use the gopher technique. Three stories, one door. But other than that, there would have been latitude in Noah's hiring shipbuilders to figure out what different parts of the structure would be like. That's exactly right. You know, the Bible gives us very few details, 300 by 50 by 30 in cubits, and a cubit's about a fingertip to elbow. A shorter one was about 18 inches. Your longer or your older cubit was about 20 to 21 inches. Okay. Of course, they varied depending on what king was in charge. We're using the older cubit. Okay. So there's variation within the size of our estimation because of the, we don't know the size of the cubit. But either way, this would have been a very massive vessel. And when you go into the ark, now it's impressive when you're standing on the outside, but when you actually go inside the ark, you know, even skeptics of the Bible, once they're there and they see it, they start, oh, you know, this is a lot bigger than I thought. Maybe, maybe all the animals could have fit on the ark. And that's another important thing we'll talk about soon. But here's a video of the inside of the ark. And this shows you there, there'll be three stories of, of what you're seeing here and all the different cages and, and that. So this really helps you understand the size of the Some ark. Some of the cage design. How could we fit all those animals? That's one of the big questions people ask. How did you fit the different animals that needed to be on the ark on the ark? Well, yeah. And you all did a lot of research on this that's and right. understanding two things versus the size. This is a huge ship. It's huge. And, and that's, I think, what everyone's impression when they get here is this is incredibly large, right. but also understanding the kinds. Correct. I'm sure we're going to get into right. that as we go through. That's here. right. And there's, there's multiple aspects to that, of course. Now, this is cool. Yeah. This would have been some kid's dream to build. Yeah, this is a, basically a cross-section of the ark just being split down the middle and taking a look. What do you see inside? It's just incredible when you look at all the detail. All right, so it's big. It's big, and it's lots and lots and lots of room. Now, while we were there, I thought, you know what? I think I need to ask Noah how he did this. So check this out. Let me ask Noah a question. Noah, how did you know how to build the ark? 
<laughs> I've been building boats most of my life, but of course never anything this large. So it took me a while to plan the construction, and there were some difficulties to overcome. But God is wise and knows everything, and he provides all we need. Well, thank you. We appreciate it, Mr. Noah. <laughs> he tilts his Do you have any more questions? Oh, I have a lot of questions, oh, but we're just going to ask Bodie the rest of them. <laughs> Pretty cool. Pretty cool to, to actually talk to Noah. That was uh, one of the highlights of my life. You know, won't it be amazing in heaven when we'll be able to like talk to Noah, you know, and, and ask him all these questions. Okay, so how big is the ark? Well, if you take the, the size and the, the height and the cubic uh, feet volume of the ark, you're going to come up, somebody has come up with uh, using rail cars uh, to, because that's what are often used to transport animals. And so they said the size of the ark would have been 522 boxcars. Okay, that's a lot, right? So if you take an average animal, so they, they have a, they have math, what, what's the average size animal? Of course, we have large animals, we have, uh, giraffes and, and, uh, uh, elephants and things, but we also have really little teeny animals too. So you have the average is probably about the size of a, a dog or a sheep, a big dog or a small sheep. Uh, so if you said how many animals could fit in these boxcars, you could put 240 animals Average size animals per boxcar. And then if you do the math of 522 boxcars, you're coming up with over 125,000 animals could fit on the ark. Okay. Now, of course, you need room for food and you need room for space and living quarters and water and all of that. But the, this really gives us a number. If, if the number of animals that would have been on the ark is bigger than this, which most people assume it is, it'd have to be hundreds of thousands of animals millions maybe because of all the variation of what we call species, then there's no way it could fit. How many animals could, would there have been on the ark? Well, the ark was, was huge. So let me just give you this and I'm going to skip the next video, but I'm going to tell you the Bible describes the kind. Okay. There would have been two of every kind on the ark. What is a kind? Well, people have done research on this and they've studied this. They, you know, you have, let's say you have dogs and here you have all sorts of different dogs. We're having some technical difficulties. Do you guys want me to do anything? No. Okay, good. So I'm doing everything right. Everything seems to be locked in here. They're going to fix this for you next Sunday. This won't happen anymore. Yeah. Okay. So you have all sorts of varieties of dogs and it's really incredible when you start to, uh, there's a boxer. We love boxers. I mean, just Look at this, right? So much variety. So all of these dogs uh, would have come from a dog kind. They would have had all the genes within to create all these variations. We probably would think of it more as like a wolf. They have all the variations and then they, they do selective breeding and they come down to getting these, you know, these silly designer dogs now, you know? If it has doodle in the name, I don't know. I can't, I can't get past the name. They might be good dogs, but... Anyways, it's crazy how much variety is within that initial male and female kind. So that's all you need. You need a male and a female of the canine kind. And you look at horses and they, they do the study. Basically, what can interbreed? Um, and they, they do all of this study and they come out. When you do all of that with all the animals, the, the land uh, breathing animals and birds, you come up with a number. Okay? And that number might surprise you. It's, it's smaller than you might think. 
They've done the math, and this is a high number. How many animals would have had to uh, put that up on the screen, please? How many animals would have fit on the ark? Right there. No more than 4,000 animals. Okay, if you understand kinds properly, and they've done all the research, it's a lot less than you think. Okay, 4,000 animals. How many did we say could fit on the ark? Over 125,000. Do you think 4,000 could have fit? Absolutely. Now, all of a sudden, if we do the proper science and thinking, you know, people accuse Christians of being, you know, stupid or ignorant or non-scientific. If you start to think about this and do the math and do the science on it, it's totally plausible, very possible. And so you need to know this stuff because people are going to attack your faith with there's no way the animals could have fit on the ark. Could they have? Absolutely. You say, wait, 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 wait. Wouldn't dinosaurs have been on the ark? If the Bible says everything was created, you know, six days and a man and dinosaurs would have lived together. And there's lots of evidence for that too. Then you would have dinosaurs on the ark. How could they fit on the ark? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's actually, could you have taken, ready for this? This is going to blow your mind. A young dinosaur. Huh? Why, why would you take a full grown apatosaurus? Right? No, you're going to take a young one. And the younger are going to be better after the time on the ark to be better breeders, right? You're not going to take an old one or a fully mature one. You're going to take, God brought the animals to Noah. That's another big question. How could he have gotten all the animals? Well, I think there was one supercontinent in that day. They all could easily walk. And there they walked two by two to the ark. And they had some other ones that were clean animals that they had more for, uh, for later sacrifice. But amazing, right? Amazing. How many fewer animals than, than most people think and how big the ark would have been. This is all very, very possible. Genesis 6.16 or 6, 16 says, A window shalt thou make to the ark. And a cubit shalt thou finish it. So that window at the top would have been about 18 inches. It would have been a series of windows, I believe, along the whole top. The door of the ark shalt thou set in the side. So it talks about a door. And with lower, second, and third story shalt thou make of it. So God gives Noah some basic parameters. The size, the width, the height, the, the length. Uh, the, the technique, the, the making it uh, impervious to water and strengthening it with the, with the resin or the pitch, and the floors and the window. Why, why a window? Well, it was a way to look up to God. In the, in the middle of this catastrophic event happening, there's grace, there's hope, there's a God that cares who's going to get you through the storm. It will also, of course, provide light and ventilation. But God knows what he's doing. God will help you. God will steer you. God will guide you. And he'll give you all of the information that you need. So the animals and Noah are in the ark. And they all come through a door. And then when it's time, and any, per, any person that Noah was preaching to could have come in, no one did. And that's kind of sad. Years and years and years and years of preaching and you don't have one convert. You don't have one person. But you still be faithful, right? You still do a trite. And they went in and the door closed. We're going to end with this video and this is the gospel. 
As you know, we put on In Grace, every In Grace episode, we have a gospel presentation. That makes us different than any other media, Christian media out there. You know, there are some people that believe this, but they don't give it. And there are some people that believe something different. So this is to all of you that pray for and support through the church, through the college, through the In Grace ministry. Um, every time this goes out on the world's largest television network on 550 radio stations and now on YouTube, it can go anywhere all around the world. The gospel goes out there time and time again. This ark is an amazing, amazing structure. Noah and his family, they went through a door. The door was open. The Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness and no doubt he was telling the people that there was judgment coming. But no one listened. They could have gone in, but they didn't listen. Well, there's a door that's open for you. There's judgment coming, not by water, not by a flood, but certainly a worse judgment, a judgment by fire. But there's a door that's open to you. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone will enter, they will be saved. As soon as Noah and his family got on, the door closed. There's going to be a day when the door will close, but today it's open. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Don't delay. Walk through the door of Jesus. He died for you on a cross and he rose again. This is us and this is our sin. We've all sinned. God loves us so much that he paid for our sin by sending Jesus to die on that cross. And when you believe in him, you will have eternal life. The door's open. Walk through by faith in Jesus Christ.